Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. And welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this podcast, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Dr. Fanal Sharif, MBE. You will enjoy this podcast if you are interested in how to enhance your health and well-being, both at home and at work. Fanal talks about the importance and the differences between meditation and breathwork. Fanaz also gives us a three-step framework to help those of us scared about growth and stepping out of our comfort zones. And I think this is a really powerful episode reminding us that we have a choice around how we want things to be and how things can be different. I loved stuff like this. So I absolutely loved it. And I hope that you guys do too. I will see you in the next episode. Hey, Fanaz, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you, Tara. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I was just looking at your bio and I was like, I've got another MBE on here. Like, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I don't like to introduce people, but I'm going to try with you. So you are a GP. You are the CEO of Managing Your Mind. You've been a medical director. You are an independent management consultant and leadership coach. You are also a well-being resilience trainer, a senior fellow on the Medical Leadership and Management Programme. Yeah, the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management. Hey, you nailed that. Oh, well, welcome. You have got a huge portfolio. So what should we know about you to help us to understand you better? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you're right. I've had loads of roles. But I think the one thing that transcends Every single thing that I do is the passion that I have for well-being, emotional, mental, physical well-being and our resilience. And I think for those that know me, that one thing features with everything that I do. So whether I'm in a clinic, having a consultation with a patient or chairing a meeting or facilitating a workshop, the focus on our mental and emotional well-being, our resilience, making sure that we're managing that as effectively as possible is the one thing I always prioritize on. Where did that passion come from? When I qualified from being a medical student to being a full-fledged doctor, that transition was incredibly difficult. So as a med student, of course, I had responsibilities and things like that. But as a doctor, the decisions I made had an impact on the lives around me, the patients that I was serving. 
I qualified in Zimbabwe, a third world country. So there was a lot of malnutrition. There were a lot of conditions where we could actually make a difference. But how we did that or how I did that as a doctor, it was incredibly difficult for me to manage. So I was really stressed, very stressed at that period of time. And a friend of mine took me onto this program. We did a lot of breath work and meditation. And, you know, we talked about values and how these were enhanced when we felt better. And after doing that program, I continued with my practice and I have done ever since. You know, I've been meditating for over 20 years now. But five or six weeks after doing that program, my mom said to me, what is wrong with you? Why are you so happy? And it was incredible because I was like, what? I used to come home and I'd be so stressed. I couldn't carry out a conversation with my family. But she's like, over the past few weeks, you're happy, you look good, you're cooking, you're talking differently, you're walking differently. It was such a huge difference in me. And I was like, oh my God, it must be these techniques that I've learned. And that was a huge, one of the turning points for me, because I realized that my stress not only impacts me, but it impacts on the people that I love the most. And we do loads of things for the people that we love the most, right? And the last thing we want is for our stress to have a negative impact on them. So I was just like, wow, that's amazing. Something so small, something so simple, something as powerful as the breath and focusing on that on a regular basis every day changed me. And that in turn had an impact on people around me. And that was amazing. Don't get me wrong. I have bad days and I have stressful periods too, but I have... The tools, I've learned the tools, I've learned the life skill to get me out of that. So I will have a bad day, but they don't happen as often as they used to. And when they do happen, I don't stay there longer. There's bad moments. There's not like the whole day is a catastrophe, but there are moments in the day where you think, oh. When someone's so busy, how do you get them to slow down to do breath work? It's so easy, Tara. It's about giving them the experience. The breath is something that is with us and we're breathing all the time anyway. But when we learn how to use our breath to our advantage and we continue to practice that on a regular basis and we see the outcomes, the benefit that it has on us and the people around us, then why wouldn't you continue? So a lot of the stuff that I do, and I can do this in workshops, sometimes I even do this when I chair a meeting and things get a bit challenging. I'm like, right, guys, let's take a break and let's just focus on our breathing. It takes minutes to settle the mind, you know, to bring back that focus, to bring back your center so that you can function as effectively as possible. So I think the best thing to do is to give people the experience of how powerful the breath is. And when they see it for themselves and experience it for themselves, then I think my job's done. What is the difference between breath work and meditation in your view? I think they complement each other. Breath work is really about changing the rhythm of your breath so you can slow it down. You know, there's so many different kinds of breathing exercises out there, but it's about slowing the breath down and just paying more attention to what's happening inside. How's my heart beating? What are the thoughts that are coming to me? How's this making me feel? And the latter is meditation. So the breath work is the actual physical, right? This is what I'm doing. And I suppose the observation as to how that makes you feel, that's meditation. And when we practice it, it takes us to a place of stillness. We often are flooded with loads and loads and loads of thoughts. And when we meditate for the first time, second time, sometimes even the 10th time, the mind is flooded with thoughts. But when we continue with that practice, the thoughts fade away and that rest, that deep 
Mental rest is what surfaces. That's meditation. So the breath leads us to that place very effectively. Do you have a meditation routine? So do you do it like in the morning or the afternoon, or do you just do it throughout the day whenever you fancy? I seem that a lot of us wish we had more hours in the day to do all the stuff that we do, right? But the funny thing is, every single person on the planet has just 24 hours. No one has more, no one has less. And how we use that time is really important. What I found works for me is if I make sure the quality of the first hour of my morning is brilliant, then the rest of the day follows suit. And if I make sure the quality of the last hour of my evening is just as brilliant, it's settling, it's great quality for me, then the quality of my sleep is great. So my routine usually is to focus on ensuring that first thing in the morning, I'll do something that brings me joy. So that's when I usually meditate or I'll exercise or I'll sit with a cup of coffee and I'll watch the sunrise. But it's something that uplifts me, that fulfills me. And same with the evening, something that settles the mind. And that's what I tend to focus. That's my time. That's where I set my boundaries. I'm like, okay, this is for me. This is where I'm going to reflect or think about what I've done or how I could change things or maybe just take a walk, do something that allows my mind to settle. I could definitely relate to that. So if you think about your time as a medical director, what are your biggest accomplishments? Wow. About a month after I started as medical director, we found ourselves at the start of an unprecedented global pandemic. No one was expecting that. So that was a huge, huge, huge change in the way in which we worked. So it was not just a different job, but I was like, oh my God, how do I do this? If I look back at it, I think my biggest accomplishment was that I managed to bring our team of clinical directors together. We were a group of 12 people at the time from two distinct geographical areas that hadn't really worked together before. And I brought them together and I kept them together and we were focused and motivated to do the things that we needed to do to support our patients during that time. And I think those relationships, even though I'm not in that role at the moment, are still strong because of what we experienced during that time. And I'd say that is probably my greatest accomplishment in my role as medical director. You say at the moment, would you ever go back? Yeah, I mean, why not? I think it's a leadership role, right? And what it did was, is it really tested me as a person. I'm still in a position where I seek out opportunities that will test me, that will get me to step out of my comfort zone, that will allow me to do something different and creative and innovative. So absolutely, if I had opportunities, you know, I'm always looking to do things that are different and will challenge me. And, you know, that really enhances my personal and professional growth. What was the role that you did before becoming a medical director? So what was like the stepping stone into that senior executive leadership role? So I'd worked as a GP. I'd worked as a low-term salaried GP partner. I also had the opportunity to sort of serve as a clinical advisor. Back in CCG days, I was an advisor to mental health, local care, and then I was elected onto the governing body. And during that time, I really built relationships with a lot of our primary care colleagues, a lot of practices, a lot of the sort of CCG teams at the time. And I had a really good insight and understanding of how primary care could perhaps function or evolve in the changing NHS landscape. So when CCGs transitioned to STPs, I think it was at the time, then into ICBs, 
I remember having a conversation with newly elected clinical directors at the time, and they'd asked me to represent the primary care and the clinical perspective across the emerging place-based executive. So that's how I stepped into the role of medical director. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage. It is really, really simple. All you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the Gob for Good website at gobforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry. You could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. So if you go back to the beginning of this conversation, we talk about health and well-being. Mm. So you've taken that passion and you have founded and set up Manage Your Mind. That's right. So talk us through the process of I've got this idea. People seem to be on board with it. I'm going to make this a business. Well, Manage Your Mind evolved after it started. So I remember going to a business network meeting. They used to have them at sort of six o'clock in the morning, you know, these businesses in in the Medway towns. Mm -hmm. They asked me to talk about well-being. So I did. And I said, look, I've got this great idea and I really want to set up this community program that's going to support people in the community with low level mental health conditions. So one of the guys was from the Rotary and he came up to me afterwards and he says, what do you need to make that happen? And I thought, I just don't want to ask for money. I want to ask for something that I really need. So I said, let me think about it and get back to you. And I did. And I said, I need a hall. I need a venue. And I need it for three months, every week for three months. And he said, okay, great. The Rotary will fund that for you. So they funded a venue for me every week for a couple of hours for three months. And then I was like, okay, I've got a venue, my greatest expense. What am I going to do now? And it was about talking to people. So I remember speaking to the council. I remember speaking to the voluntary sector. I remember speaking to practices. And I was like, look, this is a free workshop. Come to it. See how you feel. And we did. And they came and they had the experience of the breath. And I was like, well, do you want more? Do you want to come back next week? And they were like, yes, we want to come back next week. The design of the program sort of developed as I led the sessions. I was like, well, what worked? What didn't work? And they were like, oh, this was really good. Well, this wasn't really good. And it sort of developed that way. So for nine years, I led Manage Your Mind in the community voluntarily. And it was only when we were hit by COVID that we stopped it. And I thought, right, I need to do something here for my colleagues and my teams, because I could see that, you know, they had a lot of challenges during the pandemic. And I really wanted to do something from them based on the learning that I had in the community. I know you're not going to like this question, but who do you sell your programs to? Who is your client? At the moment, it's health and social care workforce. So I have conversations with decision makers in councils, local councils, public health teams, the acute trust, training hubs, PCNCDs, ICB teams. So it's folks that have heard about the program and make inquiries, and then we set up a package for them. 
And I think the best feedback, I guess, that I ever had was someone approached me from the ICB and said, we want to know more about Manager Mind. And I said, well, how did you hear about us? And she said she was in a meeting with someone. And that person was usually quite stressed and had a very different approach. But at that particular meeting, she was really calm and collected and focused and had really meaningful conversation with them. And they asked her, they're like, well, what's happened to you? What have you done? And she was like, oh, I just did this program. So they came to me and they're like, we want to do that. Let's do it. (laughs) When you say a program, that sounds like multiple sessions. Do you ever do like a one-off two-hour workshop? I think when it comes to our well-being and resilience, it's important to take the right amount of time to reset and recover. So yes, you can run a workshop for an hour, two hours, half a day. But when you do a program for two days or a full day, then that really makes a difference because you're sort of taking yourself away from the challenge, the problem, and you're really thinking about how that's making you feel. And then you're improving your awareness around things like your triggers, how you can manage them. And that takes time. So do you have anybody that helps you at the moment? Do you have a team that you contract in? What does the business look like behind the scenes? We've got a really great board. We've got a brilliant chair who's an ex-NHS leader as well. He's worked in numerous executive positions over the NHS. I've got a a non-executive director. We've got a project manager, another sort of instructor as well who's based up north. And she's working with me to learn how to deliver these programs as well. So, yeah, we're a small team, but we our dynamic is brilliant. We bounce off each other really, really well. And I think it's that dynamic that filters through into the work that we do. When you were a GP partner, did you feel like you were a business owner? Would you call yourself a business owner? I think at the time I focused more on my role as a clinician. And I've always, wherever I've been, I've always wanted to make a difference. So when I first stepped into the partnership role, I was like, right, how do we make this difference for our patients? You know, what can we change in the practice? What can we do differently? So as a business owner, I was, of course, but one of the other partners was sort of responsible for the cost side of things. And, you know, we had a brilliant accountant who managed the financial side of things for us. My role, and I think what I've always been very good at is that creative, that innovation, that driving the difference and getting people motivated and moving to do things differently. Now, do you feel like you are a business owner? I do. Yeah. I think I have a lot of roles in the business because I think of things strategically. I'm challenged a lot by my board, but I also deliver the programs and I'm there. I'm immersed in it with the participants and that feedback that I get from them, you know, the experience that they have and what I can see, the shift. There's a huge amount of learning that comes from that. And when I feed that back to the board and, you know, we can sort of change things and we design things differently as a result of that. I have a a multitude of roles. I don't ever think of myself as being a chief executive or being a trainer. I just think, look, resilience, well-being, this is the essence of who I am. And I can uphold these values, these principles, you know, regardless of whether I'm at a board meeting or delivering a program. So you mentioned your board challenge you in a good way. What was their latest challenge to you? What we've talked about is rolling manager mind out on a national platform. And that was it. So stepping up to doing that. And we're sort of thinking about the things that we need to make that happen. So obviously we need more trainers, but, you know, we need the right kind of people, resilient people to be able to deliver a resilience program. So thinking about how we train people up, how we get our marketing right, how we speak to the right people. These are the kinds of conversations we're having at the moment. 
Do you ever find yourself scared to grow or do you want it? You're like, bring it on. I do. And when I find myself scared to grow, I know I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. I know that that's what's happening. And I think in a weird way that propels me forward because I'm like, okay, there's something here. I need to work through it because if I don't work through it, I'm never going to grow. How do you work through it if you're scared? What are you saying to yourself to help you overcome that? It's three things. For me, it's three things. One is I always change my state. So if I know I'm going to be doing something that I've never done before, I'll always do it standing up because my energy is different when I stand up. When I have a conversation and I'm on my feet, my energy is different. And I always think I want my energy to flow upwards when I'm doing something I've never done before. I do this. I'm having a difficult conversation. I know I'm going into a challenging meeting or if I'm going to be on a platform I've never presented at before, I'm always on my feet. And then I think about what I want to focus on. Do I want to focus on the fear or do I want to focus on the difference I'm going to make? And the third thing is I have always relied on my breath in any and every situation. And there's different kinds of techniques that I do just to help in terms of settling the mind calming it down and being like, okay, you've got this, go for it. So I think those are the three pointers that I use to help me step out of my comfort zone. It's not easy when you're fearful about this. So I'll step out of it. And then the second time I do it, the third time I do it, the fourth time I do it, then it gets easier. So we're both in Kenton Medway. I met somebody, you will know Dr. Maya Vibhuti, and he had his fellowship. And one of the people in that digital transformation group were working on a project related to health and wellbeing. And they wanted to survey GPs on their thoughts around health and well-being and the support that was available to them. And I have this conversation or come across this a lot. So we have an idea, then obviously you want to test the market. You want to see what do people think. And it's interesting, I think with health and well-being, there is a lot out there for health and care professionals. There is a lot, but still people don't know that the support is there. So how do you let people know manage your mind is there because there are so many initiatives. I'm always pointing people towards looking after you too, looking after your team and looking after your career. How do you let people know that you are there? I do it one person at a time. I think it's one step at a time for me that makes the most difference because my aim is to make a difference. And if I make a difference to one person or 20 people or 50 people, I still want to make that difference. And it's often when people have the experience of the program and they go and talk about it to their networks, that's how people come onto this program. The only thing I have to do is show up and teach and talk about it. So podcasts like this, you know, talking about it on a national platform or even local platforms, highlighting the importance of looking after yourself. And people get that. They know that because there's so much stress out there, like you were saying earlier. So when they hear about these things and people try them out, see how it fares for themselves. And that's how the difference grows. That's how the word gets out there when people experience it. For people that listen to this, that run a business, it's just marketing. But I think it's always interesting to hear how people approach promoting their service. And I think it's people called this podcast the business of healthcare because when I did my MBA I asked GPs during my dissertation do you consider yourself a business owner most of them said no do you consider yourself an entrepreneur when they had like multiple businesses and they like no and when I talk to people they're frightened to sell their services it's a conflict of interest 
And I work with a GP, fantastic, fantastic. And a business wants to work with him. And he's like, oh, a hundred pound. <laughs> so frightened to accept money and promote his amazingness. So I think it's really important. It's really interesting to hear how other people approach the promotion of the service. I think it's different, right? So as a doctor, I was trained to do something different. I was trained to identify patients' problems and have conversations with them about how to manage that. That was the core of what my training is about. So if you ask me how to set up and grow a business, I haven't been trained in that. So I have no clue. I'll do what I think is right. And I rely on the expertise around me to do stuff like that. But I think it's also about our passion plays out in the things that we do. And when people see that, can relate to it, and they can apply some of that to their own lives, I think that's the greatest selling point, if you want to call it that, for any company, any individual, any organization, is that people can relate to it. We're solving a problem for them, teaching people how to do something so simple to make a huge difference in their lives. And that's amazing. So if a listener was only going to take one thing from this podcast, what would you like that to be? I would say that the breath is incredibly powerful. I remember when I was growing up, a lot of people would say to me, oh, don't stress about that, or don't worry about it, or don't get angry. But no one ever told me how. How do I not stress about my mortgage or my relationships or my business? No one ever told me that. When I was growing up, my mom was like, oh, don't get angry about these things. I remember, how do I not get angry? What does that mean? So if there's anything people are going to take away from this is that the breath can help master the emotion rather than let us become a victim to it. And if we learn how to master the breath, we can manage our minds and in turn manage the lives that we want to lead. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best place to contact you? Manageyourmind.org.uk or manageyourmind.co.uk. Either one of the two will work. Or if you just look up Manage Your Mind Kent or Google me, and my contact details will appear on LinkedIn for now, Sharif. That's the best way to do it. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Tara. so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.